If everyone's got your Bibles, please grab them. You're definitely going to need a Bible. If you've got your phone, that's all right. We're still trying to round up some Bibles. We do have some Thai Bibles. We were able to purchase them. So if you need a Thai Bible, we have some back there. So if you've got your Bibles, let's start getting ready to open up. And as we get going, I want to remind you all that we are taking communion today. So as we go through the study of God's Word, I ask that we would just be in prayer, each one of us, to examine our own walk, each one of us as Christians, and just examine ourselves and see if there's anything in our life that would not be pleasing to the Lord, something that we need to take care of before we take communion. So those that were here last week, most of you were here last week, we studied the three temptations that Jesus faced. We looked at these three different things, a physical temptation, a desire for protection, And then the one that I seem to struggle with most, the temptation of pride or power. Now, before Jesus faced all these different temptations, we we read and we saw that he had been prepared to fulfill the calling on his life. He had been baptized by the Holy Spirit, so he was equipped by God to go out and fulfill the mission that God had given him. Just as all of us, All of us, the same. Each one of us have been empowered by the Holy Spirit and sent on a mission to follow this example that Jesus gives each and every one of us. But you remember, last week, what happened after Jesus was baptized with the Spirit? Once he received that empowerment from God, what happened? This is when he was led into the wilderness. We read last week, we studied he had fasted for 40 days and nights. Then... During this time, he was tempted by Satan as he was in this kind of weakened state, I believe. So, as Satan brought each of these different types of temptations to Jesus, how did Jesus rebuke him? Again, just a quick review to catch us up from last week. It was the word of God. That's how Jesus rebuked the lies that Satan brought forth. The word of God, the foundational truths that each of us can stand on, even as we faced these fiercest attacks. You know, as I I read this, and I think of our friend right now that's uh, struggling as he was recovering from COVID, you know, you're alone, you've been sick, you're bored. You know, this is Satan. He just, that's when he comes after us. We're right kind of in the middle and down in the dumps a little bit. He comes in, he starts speaking these lies into our lives. And we learn that through the study of God's word, this is how we defend against the lies that Satan brings to our minds. So Jesus gave us this wonderful example of how each of us can defend against spiritual warfare, yes, that all of us will face as we are Christians. So as we set out to share the good news, to share the hope of Jesus, we will face these things. I read a quote last week from Warren Worsby, and I like it so much I'm going to share it again this week. Because I think it's so important as we're here in this pagan land to realize that we are going to face different spiritual attacks as we go out. So I want to read it again, Warren Worsby. We must not think that Jesus used his divine powers to overcome the enemy. Because that that is just what the enemy wanted him to do. Jesus used the spiritual resources that are available to us today. The power of the Holy Spirit of God and the power of the Word of God. Today, we're going to continue in our study about Jesus, and we're going to pick up that story in John chapter 1, verse 29. If you've got your Bibles, please open up there. 
All right, everyone's there. So Jesus has been equipped. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, and today, he's going to begin ministry. He's going to call these disciples to faith. So let's read John chapter 1, verse 29 through 31 to begin. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. So John the Baptist, let's not make sure and get our Johns messed up since we're reading it in the book of John. John the Baptist is standing there, I assume, we don't know exactly where he is at this point, but I assume he's standing by the river, and he's with these other Jewish people, these Jewish men, and then suddenly Jesus starts walking towards him, walking up. John gets so excited. I mean, he gets so excited. He's like, look, look, look. And he's pointing towards Jesus. And he's getting everyone's attention. Look, it's Jesus. And he proclaims to all the people there, to all the disciples of John, that look, Jesus, the Lamb of God. Think about this picture. And then also think about a question. What does this mean when he says Jesus is the Lamb of God? What does that mean to you? Look at verse 29. I love the Bible because the best way to interpret something is to look at where? The verse before and after. We don't even have to leave the verse in this one because he says right there, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the Lamb of God. There's lots of questions here. So we know that John here, he defines for us who the Lamb of God is. But then... What exactly does this mean? Because this is so important when we ask and read our Bibles that we understand who is Jesus. What exactly is John the Baptist explaining or proclaiming to them about Jesus? Think of a lamb. I mean, we're kind of out of the Jewish culture, right? You guys think of a lamb. What do you guys think? Mary's little lamb. You start singing the song in your head. I think some of you are singing it just now in your head. What do you think? A little lamb? Mary's little lamb. What do you think? No? Some of you maybe were thinking it's about dinner time. Nice rack of lamb, medium rare. I mean, in context, we don't have the same context the Jewish people would have had. So you got to remember who John was speaking to when he said this is the Lamb of God. He was speaking to the Jewish people at the time. They would have thought of a sacrifice that was presented daily in the temple, twice a day. They would have also maybe remembered Passover, remembering the blood that was put on the doorpost protecting them from the angel of death? When they said the Lamb of God, they would have thought of this. So John the Baptist is proclaiming Jesus as the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world. Now, as these Jewish people probably heard this, they maybe even would think it's a little strange. They wouldn't have understood it at this point, as he said, this is the Lamb of God. Um, Later, they would. The disciples would. But at this time, they were probably, they're not sure. But John, we know, John the Baptist had a special revelation from the Holy Spirit, from God. And he knew who Jesus, the Messiah, is and was. And he preached it to everyone that he met and came across very loudly. So again, the people, they didn't quite understand who Jesus was or even his purpose. But they did have some hope. They really did hope. They hoped that Jesus, this man, as John was proclaiming, they hoped he was the Messiah. 
This was who they hoped would free them from the rule that they had been under. So John is going to explain further to us through the scriptures how we came to this revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Let's look at verses 32 through 34. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. So John is very busy here. He's down by the river. He's teaching. He's explaining. He's fulfilling God's calling on his life, his anointing. And then, so now, he, again, he, he, run, he sees Jesus, and he's yelling out, Jesus, the Lamb of God. He, he points everyone he meets now towards Jesus, explaining to all that he meets who Jesus is. It's a, it's a wonderful example that John the Baptist gives all of us, especially as we're sitting here in church, especially as so much, sometimes we go out and evangelize. This pattern, we point people towards Jesus and the cross and who Jesus Christ is. That's where we point people. That's where John pointed people to Jesus, explaining, not just pointing to him, but explaining to him who Jesus is and the effect he had in his life. I, just, I love it. So we see two of John's followers turned. They turned from John, from being John's disciples, and now they've turned towards Jesus and start following Jesus. Now you think about that. I, I, I pray, this would be my heart, I pray that it'd be each of your hearts, that those we would meet would follow Jesus, not some other person, not some church, not some other teaching, but they would be focused and follow Jesus. And I think it's so important. So let's read what Jesus is going to do and say after these two run up to him from John and say they're going to follow him. Let's see what Jesus is going to say. Verse 35 through 39. The following day, John was standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by John, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. Where John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? I got so excited telling the story, I forgot to read the verse. You know, as we see these two, they've ran up to Jesus. You imagine running up to Jesus, chasing them down, saying, I want to follow you. And Jesus turns around, and what does he say to these two disciples? He questions them. Why? Why are you following him? He asks them. What? Why would Jesus ask these first two disciples in this story, or why would he ask anybody, why are you following me? What do you want, is what my version says. How, how would these two disciples answer this question that Jesus has given them? He, they didn't. They didn't even really answer it in the text. We don't show an answer. Instead, they came up with another question for Jesus, and she said, well, where are you staying? I don't think they wanted to answer. Now, Jesus, we know, he already knew why these two had came and why these two were following him. They were hopeful. They had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. They were hopeful that he was the one they had been waiting for to save them. 
Now, as you see in the text, they did address him as rabbi. So they showed respect, and they showed that they kind of saw him as a teacher. But Jesus, he knew. He knew why these two men were seeking him for different reasons than why Jesus was really there. Now, I can, I can relate to this. I don't know about all of you when you first came to church or when you first came to seek Jesus. But when I first sought to follow Jesus... I had selfish motives. I was seeking something. I had personal desires um, and problems that brought me to church because I was seeking answers. So it's not a bad thing, but I I sought Jesus through the church for my own selfish reasons when I first came to church. These men were seeking Jesus, similar, for their own selfish reasons. They wanted to be saved from the Roman rule. They hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. You know, I look back and I think about this. When I went to that church, some of you have met Pastor Travis. Uh, He knew. He knew I wasn't there just to be a worship God. He knew I had a life full of problems and that I was looking for answers. Um, He knew. And I was so confused. I didn't understand who Jesus was. I didn't understand what church was. But I was seeking just as I believe these two disciples were. They were seeking. So I love Jesus' response when he says, and he knows this, Jesus knows this. He knows they're confused. He doesn't understand, they don't understand who he really is and what he's going to do. They won't know for a long time yet. But he knew, but he invites them in and says, come and spend the evening with me, knowing everything about them already. He says, come, come, come spend the evening with me. Jesus as always, as we talked about last week, is such an amazing example. Because even me, as I was seeking Jesus, as I came for the wrong reasons with a poor understanding, I was welcomed. I was welcomed into the church. I was welcomed by Jesus. And they all said, and the pastor said, and Jesus said even to me, come, come and see. Come and see who I really am. I just love that. We must, as Christians, as the church, we must invite those seeking to come and see, to learn and spend the, day, spend the time with them and talk to them and explain who Jesus is and what he's done in each one of your lives personally. Let's continue. Verses 40 through 42. Andrew, Simon Bro- Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Here, we're introduced to Peter. We all love Peter, right? I mean, he's most, I love Peter. We're introduced to him. And the other disciple, it's not mentioned by name here, but most people believe, and I believe it's John, the author of the gospel that we're studying right now. So I want to take note of something as we look at these scriptures. I want us all to note how the first two people became disciples of Jesus. The first two, right here. How did they become disciples of Jesus? How did they become followers of Jesus? Look at verse 40. What do you see? Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. They heard. How'd they hear? John the Baptist. John the Baptist was preaching about Jesus. So they heard from John the Baptist, and then they received that truth, and then they went and sought Jesus and followed him. Even though they had a Crazy understanding. They didn't get it all yet, but it didn't matter because they started to place their faith in Jesus. But they had to hear first, didn't they? 
They heard John the Baptist preaching, and they followed Jesus. They responded through the Holy Spirit, because this isn't all on John, is it? It isn't on us either, is it? We're not capable of doing that on our own. They responded through the Holy Spirit who was using John to share to the world who Jesus was. Then, even after Jesus, what, after they met and followed Jesus, what happened? Andrew, he went to his brother and then shared the good news to, and introduced him to Jesus. Do you see how this all worked? They all had to hear because they were talking about it. So Jesus is beginning a work in Peter. He's going to transform Peter, as we will read and study through the Gospels, into a man that would lead the church. But it started here. It started here with him hearing the Gospel being presented by John the Baptist. Now, can you imagine how excited Andrew was to share about Jesus? Can you imagine how excited he was? Even though he didn't understand completely about him, he was so excited to run out there and just reveal to others what he had learned. And what he believed. People were starting to follow Jesus through other people sharing Jesus. Turn to your Bibles. Where am I going to go? Any guesses? Romans 10, 14. Romans 10, 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them. These men were preaching the gospel. We can learn so much from this text. We know that each of us are called. We know each each one of us has a purpose. And we know each one of us, as we just went through earlier, are equipped through the Holy Spirit to go out and fulfill this to share the gospel, to share the hope of Jesus Christ. Now, we need to be obedient to that calling, just as John the Baptist was being obedient to God, to go out and share to go share that God is working in this world, even among all this craziness, and call them to know Jesus through the Holy Spirit. I'll make sure that's in there, because we can't do this alone, and we cannot save someone. Let's continue. Let's look at verses 43 through 44. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida. Andrew and Peter's hometown. So now Jesus, it kind of changes, right? Jesus has now sought Philip. It's kind of interesting, kind of changed. Before it was all you know, John the Baptist and the disciples, but now Jesus has personally sought out Philip and called him personally to follow him. This is, you read this, this is amazing. This is so powerful. You think of God. Who is God? I mean, the, the creator of all things physically and spiritually known and unknown to each one of us. How big God is. How big this And he personally seeks out a personal relationship with this man and with each one of us. That's amazing when you think about that. Jesus has called every single person, just as he has here, to come follow me. So what will be Philip's response to Jesus? What was your response? What is your response as the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart to come follow me? Let's look at verse 45. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. We don't read Philip's response. He doesn't say, Yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. What does he do? 
He's so excited. He obviously believes Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, maybe it's not written. I don't know. He obviously did believe. But he runs immediately, right? And he goes to find Nathaniel and tell him about Jesus. I just, I love this. Philip has begun only after just meeting Jesus to share with those around him that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, what do you think Nathaniel will say finding out that Philip has found Jesus? A quick story. Before Jesus was Lord of my life, I'll start with that. I believed in Jesus, but Jesus wasn't Lord of my life. I hung out a lot in the U.S. at a gun club. Maybe some of you, that sounds strange. But we'd go up and we had shotguns and we'd shoot clays and it was just all the guys get out and hang out. And uh, there's a lot of language there at times. There's a lot of drinking going on around there and we all really enjoyed ourselves a lot. But one time, you'd notice maybe somebody wasn't there, a friend. We'll call him Joe. So you notice Joe isn't there. I won't give his name. And you're like, Where, where's Joe? Or maybe you notice Joe, he isn't drinking no more. Maybe he still comes and shoots and practices, but he's not drinking anymore. And you, you ask around to your other friends, and you're like, what happened to Joe? Where is he? Where'd he go? I mean, we've known him for years and years and years. He's not hanging out with the guys anymore. He's not up here at the club. What happened to Joe? And then someone would come up, and I remember this happened to me. And they said, oh, Joe found Jesus in a mocking tone. And you hear that. And I imagine conversations like that taking place all through, all the way back to Jesus' time. You think about the ministry and the story is all these men, right? These were fishermen, right? These were not your, these guys were tough. They were rough. They're some of the guys that I probably would have hung out with. And then you think about these guys are just peeling off, right, to follow Jesus. I mean, they're leaving their boats. They're leaving all these things, and they're peeling off. I mean, they're gone. I think they came back and forth and throughout the years. But you imagine the conversation of the other fishermen. Oh, where's Peter? Where's John? Oh, they found Jesus. And I'm sure not all of them said that without mocking. But, it's, you know, as I think about this, it just reminded me of that. Because at one point, I also found Jesus. And I left the things of the world behind when I found Jesus. When I left these things behind, I'm sure the people, a lot of people were asking, where'd Aaron go? Because I'm not hanging out in the places I used to hang out with. I'm not hanging out with all the people I used to hang out with. And a lot of them were like, where's Aaron? Oh, he found Jesus. And, you know, I find it amazing. I just think about that because I literally left the things of the world to go seek the things of God. And some of them, they don't understand that. I hope some of them will one day. But at least they know I didn't go to seek Jesus. Again, I, I don't know why. It's just a funny story I think about that. But I, I do find it amazing as, you know, we leave the things of the world as Christians and we will seek the things of God. So let's see Nathaniel's response in verse 46. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. Disbelief and ridicule was Nathaniel's response to Philip, as is so common, it happens. So common. You know, each of us should be out there sharing the gospel. And often, we may get a similar response. Mocking, ridicule. Oh, you still believe in God? Are you just dumb? Are you uneducated? Um, or do you believe in science? I could go on and on, right? I mean, the ridicule, the mocking. Um, this guy's mocking him because he was from Nazareth. But... 
What's your response to a person when you invite them to church, maybe, and they ridicule you or they mock you? When you've shared Jesus with them in some way? Philip invites them anyways. He's like a challenge, really. He really kind of challenges them, I see. He says, come and see. You want to ridicule me? You don't believe me? Why don't you come and see for yourself and explore for yourself with your own eyes and mind who Jesus Christ really is? I love that. Because we, we can trust Jesus to, and the Holy Spirit to do what we can't do. They can speak to them and call them to faith in a miraculous ways if they will just come and truly see and investigate. Jesus will work in the hearts of people as we invite them to come and see. I, it's very possible there's even some here today that are here, sitting in the seats today, wondering. They've came. They're seeing. They're wondering. Is Jesus Christ really who these people say he is? Is he really what the Bible says? I believe the Holy Spirit's even speaking to some that's out there, maybe online, speaking to them through the word of God, calling them to believe, to come in faith in Jesus. Let's continue. Let's read how this interaction goes in verse 47. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. So Nathaniel, he comes up, right? They're coming up to meet Jesus. You can imagine him walking up. Just as, probably just to amuse Philip, because obviously they're friends, right? He's like, fine, I'll go meet this Jesus. Fine, I'll go to church. You've asked me for like three years in a row. Fine, I'll go to church. He, I'm sure he saw this probably as silliness. But as he's coming up to meet Jesus, Jesus speaks to Nathaniel in such a manner that he knew, he knew that Jesus knew his thoughts. He knew what he was thinking before he met him. And he realized that Jesus knew his innermost thoughts. So what would he do? This had to take him off guard, right? I mean, his whole attitude, I'm sure, changed with the first words and the encounter that he had with Jesus. Because Jesus knew. He knew him already and never had met him. What would he do? What would you do? Let's look at verses 48 and 49. How... Do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. 49. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Well, this conversation changed, didn't it? It changed drastically. Jesus had revealed to Nathanael who he was. Jesus knew where and what Nathaniel was doing before Philip even introduced him to Jesus. Just think of that. A study Bible that I was reading this week said, th- said it this way. According to Jewish tradition, the expression to sit under the fig tree was a euphemism for meditating on the scriptures. Thus, Jesus had seen Nathaniel studying the scriptures before Philip had called him to come and see Jesus. I wonder what maybe he was reading. I don't know. What was he thinking about before meeting Jesus that day? He obviously had some pretty deep thoughts about something going on. But Nathaniel has now come to faith. He's now proclaimed that Jesus is 
the Messiah. So Jesus has a little bit more to say for us. Let's continue in verses 50 through 51. Jesus asked him, Do you believe this just because I told you I'd seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will see all heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. There's a great lesson in all of this here for all of us about faith. And question is he's asking Nathaniel, why? why? Why do we place our faith in Jesus? Maybe some of you, well, I've grown up a Christian. Maybe my whole, all my family has been Christian. Why, why do we choose to follow him? Jesus shows us in 51, it's a reference to Genesis 28, 12, that we are to place our faith in him because he, Jesus, is the one that makes the way between us and God. That through his death on the cross, the, his, the sins of the world being placed upon him, paying the price for each of our sins, which was death. But then, we know, defeating sin and death, being resurrected by God. That's why we place our faith in Jesus Christ, because who he is and what he's done for us. Not because of these other things. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the one the stairway between heaven and earth. We place our faith in Jesus because he is God. And he, he loved us so much, each one of us, that he gave his life for us. So through faith in Jesus, we also are given eternal life in heaven, having our sins forgiven forever and ever, all past, present, and future through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we place our faith in him. In closing, there are many lessons I think that we can learn from today's passages and that we can apply to our daily walk, each of us as Christians. There's two main lessons I want to look at today. The first lesson is that I must go out and share with the lost the hope of Jesus. That I, and I know I, I can't save anyone, but Jesus can. So I need to deliver that message. Come. Come and investigate. Come to church. And let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does and convict them and draw them to faith. Know that the Holy Spirit's working all around us, everyone we come upon, to reveal Jesus Christ to each one of them. But we have a job. Many times we are obedient, right? I'm preaching to the church. We are obedient. We share the gospel. We invite people to come to church. You know what? So often I find out when I'll reach out of my comfort zone and be obedient and go and share the gospel, what I find out so often later, the Holy Spirit was already working there. The Holy Spirit was already speaking to these people. And then we get an opportunity to be part of what God was already doing. And then God will continue to speak into their hearts and just proclaim how much he loves each one of them. That's the first lesson that I saw. There's many others in this text. Second lesson. We are all called by Jesus, but the question to some is, really, who is Jesus? Which we went over. But I want to look through the text today. 
Because Jesus is defined through these scriptures that we reviewed today in some amazing ways. Now, I don't know, some of you guys have different opinions. I've seen a lot of people in Myanmar will not highlight or write in their Bibles. They, like, they really have something against it. I, I'm the opposite. I'll show you mine. See all them dots and underlines this week? So if you've got your Bibles, we are going to look through the text today and see who Jesus is. Because I think this is pretty amazing. Because so many times, who is Jesus? So let's just start. We started in verse 29 today, right? So it starts. Just look through this with me. Verse 29. Look, the Lamb of God. First one. That's who Jesus is. Second one. The one who takes away the sins of the world. Next one. He says, John says, who is far greater than I am, for he existed before me. That's another description. Uh, verse 31. Uh, nope. Yeah, 31. He says he's the Messiah. He also says that he will be revealed to Israel. Then we can skip down uh, to verse 33. He is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. 34, he is the chosen one of God. 36, he is the Lamb of God. 38, he is rabbi, teacher. 41, he is the Messiah, which means the Christ. 45, he is the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus. Forty-nine, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Fifty-one, the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. So we see all these different definitions through these, just these few passages that we went over of who Jesus Christ is. And I just, I love that. So today we're going to take communion. Yep. But before we take communion, I've actually asked Christian to lead us in communion. But I want to read a scripture before he comes up. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 23. For you know that God has paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now, in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith in the hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now, you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever, because it comes from the eternal, living word of God. Amen. Please pray with me. And Christian's going to come up here and lead us in communion. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. Lord, as we look at these different lessons that I found and really examined my own life, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us, Lord, as we prepare our hearts to take communion. Lord, we would just, uh, just come before you, Lord, and just that your Holy Spirit would just speak to us, Lord. I just thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Lord, what an example we see from the first disciples, Lord. They were out there. They were evangelizing. They were out there. They were sharing they're out there saying, come, come and see, come and meet Jesus and make your own decision because he is 
our Lord and our God and our Savior. So, Lord, I just pray for a continued blessing on the rest of our time. In Jesus' name, amen.